or you song called Christ is Mine Forevermore.
Good morning. Sorry. It's good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Daryl, and it's my privilege to share with you today's announcements. And first of all, we would like to say thank you for being here. Whether you're here in person or online, we're just so glad you've come to be with us. Isn't it amazing how fast the week goes? It's hard to believe it's already Sunday again, isn't it? It seems like just yesterday it was Saturday. Oh, sorry. I had to test that one out. But if you are here visiting for the first time today, we are so thankful that you're here. And if you'd be so kind as just stop by one of our welcome centers, we have a, a special thank you gift we'd like to give you, just as our way of saying thanks for coming today. And so whether you're here in line or on person, if you would take the effort just to connect with us through your connection card by filling it out, you can do that in a paper form inside of your bulletin. You can do that on your app, on your phone, but it just lets us know that you are here. And that also comes in handy when we're doing church business too, the fact that you're here in attendance as well. So please do that. That would be great if you would. Also, tonight at 6 p.m., right here in this auditorium is our next, our annual congregational meeting. And so you are encouraged to be here. There's lots of things that they will be discussing. Uh, there's packets at the Welcome Centers if you haven't got one, plus they send it out digitally online. But we encourage you to read over that pack and come tonight ready to vote as on behalf of the church. This is for all the church members. And if you're not a member and you just want to come and watch, come and watch. And uh, that'll be tonight at 6. And also the elders are making themselves available today at 12 noon in the fireside room if you have questions about the packet. If you have any questions about tonight's meeting, you can see them in the fireside room. And after the service, the, the meeting tonight, there's actually going to be ice cream Sundays. So that's tonight. The missions teams, all of the short-term missionaries that are going out are asking for your help. There's three different groups that will be going. One is to Johnny and Friends, Romania, and Alaska. What they're asking is this. They're asking for your prayer support while they're away. And so inside of your bulletin, you'll see paper that looks like this. And it has a little QR code down at the bottom right. If you take your phone and put it on picture mode, and it'll, it'll know what to do. And then tap on it. And if you'd like to sign up to pray during these weeks that the missionary teams are gone, we ask that you sign up for an hour time slot. And you can do that on your phone, or you can do it at findliberty.net forward slash trips. And last but not least, next Sunday is Family Sunday, but it's the 29th as well. Uh, everyone at the Chesterton campus, which would be the worship center and sacred ground, that there is a potluck dinner at, at 1230 next Sunday if you would like to come. Uh, they do ask that you sign up, and the church, you can read this in the bulletin too. They're providing the barbecue and the drinks. And so, but they ask you to bring uh, sides and desserts, but do ask that you would sign up online to let us know that you're coming at findliberty.net forward slash events. With all that in mind, thank you for being here. And may God continue to use us to impact Northwest Indiana and beyond. Thanks. There's a little devotional on the Bible app, and it's called the Bible Recap. And before you get started into your scripture for the day, there are a list of things to pray for. 
And the fourth one says this, God, correct any lies that I believe about you or anything that I misunderstood. And number five, God, direct my steps according to your word. So I think uh, as we listen to the song that the choir will present, we just want to be sure that we see life and, and see uh, our reaction to life according to God's real word and not according to the way we think sometimes.
standing for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 3, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by what you believing you have heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announcing the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You've been standing a while. I'm going to let you sit for our last song together. Not you. A song, again, full of the truth about who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. Yeah. 
Uh, well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is uh, Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Galatians 3. That is where we'll, we will be this morning. Uh, but I want to pray for us as we, we start and open God's word. So as you're turning to Galatians 3, let us pray. Uh, Father, your, your word is truth. And so sanctify us now in your truth that, that we would live by your truth and it would set us free. Spirit, Father, we, we pray, do that in us now for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope those words mean a little bit to, more to you this morning than they did when we began this series five weeks ago. But it's probably time to answer a question that you might have been asking yourself over the last several weeks of this series. I'm someone who, who loves uh, records, vinyl. I don't own a record player yet, but uh, I would love to. Um, but, but in vinyl, one of the disadvantages of vinyl, which doesn't happen in digital music, is if the record gets a scratch, the record is ruined, and it's, it's hard to listen to. As the, the record makes it spin and the scratch hits again, it's, it's, it's brutal. And it's, every time it comes around, it's the scratch. You hear it. And likewise, those of us who have, have taken up following Jesus with our, our lives, there are, there are things true of us, uh, sins, patterns, habits, that are like a scratch in the vinyl record that we go to prayer time with the Lord, and it's, it's there again, the same thing, repents of the same thing, the same patterns, the same habits. And we should ask, how do we break free of those things? That hopefully by now in the series, you have a sense that despite the scratch in the record, despite our own sins, God loves us, and we come to him on the basis of the work of Christ on our behalf. Hopefully that you've heard that. But we should want to be free of the scratch. We should want to live lives that, that are, are in continuity with how Jesus would want us to live. We want to be free of the scratch. So how do we get free of the scratch? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because Paul asks a question in verse 3 that's really important. And the question is this. Having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or I might translate it this way. After starting your new lives in the spirits, why are you now trying to be complete by your own human effort? See, Paul says there are, are two ways to live. By works of the law and by hearing by faith. Works of the law and hearing by faith. Verse 3, or 2, he asks the question, did you receive the Spirit, did you become a Christian by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Again, verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There's two ways to live. Works of the law or hearing by faith. To live by works of the law, we've, we've talked about this. It's, 
It's to think that your own moral efforts, your own performance before God, that is what will get you God's acceptance and love. You must perform certain works to get God's love. That is what works of the law is based on. But Paul says there's another way, which is hearing by faith. And that is what we've been saying, which is I am accepted before God, not by my moral performance, but by the performance of Christ. And I come to the Father in faith that he will receive me because of Christ's finished work on my behalf. Now, by now, I hope you know the right answer of how to live, which is faith, not works of the law. But Paul's question in verse 3 is important. Because Paul's question in verse 3 is how many of us approach the Christian life. We start with the Spirit and grace, but we continue through works of the law. Paul's question again. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to be complete by your own human efforts? I think of it like this. When I, when I was a Christian, when I first became a Christian, I was baptized and I knew it was by grace. Right? I climbed the podium. I, I got in the tub. They dunked me under. That, that's basically spiritually. They killed me. And then they raised me back to life. And I knew I couldn't do any of that on my own. That's the grace of God in intervening into my life. I knew that. But then you get into the Christian life and that, that record keeps playing. That scratch keeps coming up. And it's like, I got to get rid of this. How do I get rid of this? Well, works of the law. My own moral effort. That's how I get rid of sinful habits in my life. And Paul's question, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being completed by faith? is to undo that way of thinking. You don't start with grace and then live in works. You start with grace and you live in grace. And if you want to break free of the scratch, that's how you live. That's how you have to live. You start with grace and you live with grace. That's why we said Galatians is a book that's defining the gospel But not for non-Christians so that they might become Christians. It's defining the gospel for Christians so that they might live their life by the gospel and break free of a sinful way of being. The Galatians is a book defining the gospel for Christians because Christians are likely to to know, hey, yes, I, I was saved by grace, but now I must live in works. And Paul says, no. That's not how you change. So... How does, does this way of thinking help us change? Well, well, Paul uses the word three times in Galatians 3. It's the word bless or blessing. It's in verse 8 where Paul says, uh, quoting Genesis, a promise given to Abraham, Abraham and you shall all the nations be blessed. Then verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And then in verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come, or I would say have come to the Gentiles. So this whole passage is about getting the blessing from God promised through Abraham. Now this is tough because we could literally do like a three-month series just on these 14 verses and how they're using the Old Testament. And I've got like 15 minutes left. So this is going to be difficult, but I'm going to try. Paul is saying 
if you're in Christ, you have the blessing of Abraham. So what does that mean? What's the blessing? Well, when, when babies are born into the world, they have terrible eyesight. They can't see very far, only 8 or 12 inches in front of them. So when a child is born into this world, they are immediately looking for a face looking back at them. Here's a, a picture of my son Isaiah, the first uh, child that, that was born to, um, to me. And, and this is uh, one of the most incredible parts of the birthing process. I want to be clear, it's not the only or even most of what the birthing process is. Most of that I was a non-participant in. <laughs> this, however, I got to participate. Obviously, he saw his mom first. But a child is born looking for a face, looking back at them to be recognized to be known that they're a person, they have a place, they're received. I, I think this is the best biblical definition of the blessing, is that photo. When God said, I want to bless all of the nations through you, Abraham, I think this is what he means. He wants, he wants his smile to rest upon every person in this world. Uh, Kurt Thompson, a Christian psychologist, writes, We are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And we were made in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Now, if you're sitting there saying, what does this cute baby stuff have to do with Galatians? Well, this, and we've got to go on a little bit of a journey with me. But, but verse 6, Paul says that Abraham, who got God's blessing... Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith in God. Believe is the same word as faith. Abraham had lived the life of faith, and God credited him righteousness. Well, what does that, that mean? And, well, there's two words, right? There's credited first, counted. And to be credited is to be given something that's not yours so that now it is yours. So hypothetically, if, if one of you were to, uh, to credit my bank account with money, I would now have money that was not mine that now is mine. And if you're like, I don't yet quite believe this illustration, we can go to my bank later today and we will make this more real <laughs> where you can understand it. Right? You're, you're given something, it's not yours, but now it is. So what are we given, or what was Abraham given, that was not his, that now is his? And the, the answer is righteousness, which is a, a religious word, and, and, and we have to break through that. But righteousness, it means a lot of things, but a couple of things for, for this morning. One is, it means to be, to be right before God. It means that he can hold you and smile upon you. Because you are right with him. There's no, there's no, imperf there's no brokenness that's, that's preventing you from him anymore. Right? Th th that's what it means to be right. You are just before God. But I want to talk about it in a little bit of a different way with the word Paul uses here in verse 3. With this question. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And, and the word perfected there, it really means to be complete. To be whole. So Paul says, so you... You began the Christian life with grace and the, the gift of the Spirit, but now you're trying to be made whole, be made complete 
through your own moral effort, through works of the law. See, we are all trying to complete ourselves before God. We sense there's no way God is looking at us at the same way that, he, that I looked at my son Isaiah. There's no way I hold his gaze with that kind of joy. I know what's in me. I'm not complete yet. We try to complete ourselves before other people. I'm, I moved here six months ago, and I, I don't think it's an overstatement to suggest I've met over a thousand people in the last six months. And I want all of them to think that I'm complete and smile back at me. That's, a, that's enormous effort. It's exhausting. We also do that to ourselves. We wake up in the morning, we look ourselves in the mirror, and we know what's Things that are there that should not be there. And we're, I'm not complete yet. I know it. And so Paul is asking the question, how are you trying to complete yourself? Through moral efforts or through the Spirit, through grace? And if you're like, well, what's the difference, right? Shouldn't I try to be a new, uh, live a new life? Yes, but it, it is different. And I'm going to use a case study. I'm going to put my own life out here for a second, which is, is the, I'm going to use anger as a case study. And I say this with, with a mild amount of confidence that my wife would back up everything I'm about to say. Actually, she said this to me, but it's always like, maybe, I don't know, maybe she'll take it back. But uh, I, I, I have really had no visible signs of anger in my life for the entirety of my, my marriage for a very long time. I don't yell at people. I don't lose control uh, visibly to other people. That you could look at my life externally and say, that person has conquered the sin of anger. That does not mean I am not an angry person. By works of the law standard, I have arrived. I am complete. I don't show my anger. But you catch me on I-80 trying to get to Chicago, and someone is going 55 in the left lane, and the justice of God is being infringed upon. Anger for something that shallow. Now, works of the law says, well, I didn't lift a, a finger. I didn't speak a word. I just got internally angry and I resisted it. But I don't, wanna, I don't even want to do that. Works of the law says I'm not an angry person. The gospel makes me ask deeper questions. What did I need that that person by driving slow in the left lane took from me that caused me to get angry? What did I need that they took from me? What is it that I don't have yet? Why do I think to be complete I need to have a clear left lane to drive as, as fast as I can, as biblically appropriately as I can to Chicago? What, like what is going on in that moment? The gospel asks far deeper questions than just, well, did you, did you get angry? What is, what is it that I, I don't yet have? Why, why, am I, why am I not complete unless I have the freedom to drive as I want? See, the gospel says two things to this. First is that I'm, I'm counted righteous before God even though I'm not. It's the gift of the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven through the finished work of Christ, not through my own. But the gospel asks a second question to me, which is why isn't that enough yet? Why do you need Jesus and the left lane open 
to Chicago. And it's a shallow example, admittedly, but we can all, we can all press this far deep. I'm using something to not make it too awkward in here. We all have something that's like, well, I don't have that. And God's like, but you have my blessing. Why do you need that? And the reason we need that is because we don't yet believe the gospel. That all we really need is, is to be counted righteous before the Father. That I have everything I, I need. I have his gaze. I'm held in his arm. I was born into this world looking for someone looking for me, and he gave me his own son. I have everything I need to get rid of the scratch in the record. Because every scratch is a sign. I'd rather have someone else's gaze. I'd rather have some other blessing than what the Father is offering to me. And if you're sitting there thinking, I, man, this feels a little goody to like I, God's smile on us is the blessing. Listen, you got to go to number six. You got to get your Bible back out. The promise over God's people that he wanted Moses, Aaron, the priest to speak over God's people. Number six, one of my favorite passages. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord look on you with smiles. That's what it means. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. Literally, that means may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. There's grace, there's peace, and there's God holding you in his arms with joy because he's counting you as righteous even though you're not. And then we get on the interstate and we want to drive like crazy people because that's not enough. And the gospel pushes into that. And when, when that, the more that becomes enough for us, that scratch in the record goes away. So that's first. I have the blessing of God. And the more I believe that, and the more I want that, the more his power invades into my life to change. The more I'm held in my father's arms, the more complete I become. So that's first. But second, and Paul says something here that we struggle with in our culture. Uh, verse 10, he, he says this, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What that means is if you sin one time, you break one moral command God has given you, and you are under a curse. I mean, I know as Christians we, we say we are supposed to believe that, but how many of us actually believe that? I mean, theologically, my mind, yes, I agree with that, but I mean, reading that, it's like, that's a little over the top, isn't it? One break of a command and you're cursed? So we struggle with that in our culture. We struggle with the idea of sin. And yet what's ironic to me is we both, in our own American milieu of the day, we both hate this verse and love this verse. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, in around 2014 or, or 15, uh, a woman by the name of, of Justine Sacco boarded a flight to Africa. It's about an 11-hour flight. And before she got on the flight, she tweeted out a joke that was, you could be read it as mildly, mildly racist, although it wasn't. That wasn't her intent. But it was not a, a well-termed joke. And I'm not even saying it here because I don't want to say it. But she intended it to be funny, and it just, it just wasn't. She tweets it out to her 170 followers, gets on a plane 11 hours to Africa. And in, in those 11 hours... One of her 170 followers tweets her joke to a journalist. The journalist retweets that out to 15,000 of his followers. And this becomes the number one worldwide trending topic as Twitter goes to destroying this woman's life. They call on her to, to get fired. 
Her company actually issues a statement. She's on the plane. She has no idea this is happening. Her company issues a statement. The, the threats get brutal. I'm not even going to put them on the screen because what people said is truly awful. But in 11 hours, because of a not the best joke, we put a curse on her. And that is largely, and I, I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to speak about it anyway. That, that is largely the culture we live in, which is this, this cancel culture. Say one thing, and we will destroy you. I see it on the right. I see it on the left. We both hate this idea. God would curse me over one sin, and yet we have no trouble enforcing it. When someone else commits a sin we don't like, then they are under a curse for one transgression. And yet we are both more harsh than God for something I'll get to in a second. But also what, what is underneath that is this we have a sense of justice. When wrongs are committed, silence cannot be the response. And so we take justice into our own hands. So all I'm trying to say, maybe we shouldn't judge God too much for this idea. But, but more than anything, we have to take this seriously because it's in Scripture. But what this does not mean is, is the way we apply it to other people. This, Paul's going to take this in a very different direction. But it must start with... Your sin, my sin, puts us under a curse. If you don't believe that, you can't make any further progress into the gospel. And here's the trouble. We forget that. We believe it on the way in to the Christian life. And then we get in the Christian life and we make some progress. And we're, we start looking at people outside the church. Or we start looking at people in our lives. And we start seeing we're a little bit further along the road than they are. And we start thinking, you know, my sins are bad, but a curse? Their sins put them under a curse. My sins, I can pay God back for that. And Martin Luther, he reflects on this in his commentary Galatians. He writes, human reason wants to present to God not a real sinner, but a pretend one unafraid of anything, without any feeling of sin. It wants to bring to God one who is well, not one who needs a physician. And when it feels no sin, then it wants to believe that Christ was given for our sins. They confess with their lips that they are sinners, and also that they commit sins every day, though not so very great or so very many that they cannot get rid of them by their own works. How many of us, our functional theology of our sin is I can get rid of them and their cost by my own works? Now, none of us would cop to that. None of us would agree with that, right? None of us, yeah, that's me. But here's how you know that's you. First is you, with ease, look down on the sins of other people. And you speak with harsh condemnation towards others and their sins. And you see this in a lot of religious communities. They look at the outside world. Look at those sinners. Christians can't do that. And I wouldn't even go beyond that because revival, if, if you read throughout the history of the church, revival does not come when the Christians of the church speak very, uh, very strongly and profoundly about sins outside the church. That never leads to revival. That almost always leads to the death of the church. When the church meets revival is when people within the church start taking their own sins with the most seriousness. That too many of us have a PhD in other people's sins and a third grade reading level of our own sins. We know well why this culture is running amok, but we don't know why people are turning away from us. 
It's because we don't think the sin in our lives put us under a curse. And Luther is clear. Human reason, reason wants to present to a God, not a real sinner, but a pretend one. And that leads to pride. Or it leads to despair. You know you're supposed to pay God back for your sins, and you can't. You haven't yet. So until you pay him back, you can't pray, you can't worship. So there's two ways to respond to that scratch in the record. The things in us we want to be broken free of. One is, I can, God, I have this. Just give me time. I will pay you back. The other is to pray with Augustine, the church father. Hearken unto my soul, O God. And hearing it cry out of the depths, woe is me. I'm under the curse. So maybe you're sitting there saying that. How does that help me change? That sounds very depressing. Well, um, how that helps us change or how that should help us change is, is what Luther says later in his commentary, Galatians. He writes, Do not think your sins are small and such as they may be gotten rid of by your own works. Do not despair because of their greatness if you feel oppressed by them, either in life or death. Rather, learn from Paul to believe that Christ was given not for pretend sins, not for small sins, but for great and huge sins, not for one or two of them, but all of them. When you know you're cursed, you run to the person who can take the curse from you. When you don't believe you're cursed, you stay within yourself to use your own efforts, your own works, to try to lift whatever's broken from you. The more, the more deeply you believe that you are cursed through your sin, the more profoundly you will run to the Father for him to save you from those things. And ultimately, the gospel invites us into an ever-deepening walk into two truths, which are completely contradictory of one another. And yet, this is the power of the gospel to change us. It is to ever deepen into the truth that I am a sinner cursed because I've broken the law. And yet, to go ever deeper into the truth, yet I am counted righteous by the Father, and I have the blessing promised to Abraham. I am, both, I am both cursed and blessed. Or as Luther put it, I'm simultaneously justified before God and a sinner. And the Christian life is more understanding those two truths. And the more you understand those two truths, the more you find the power to, to change. If you're still not sure how, let me end with, with this, with verse one, where Paul says something that, that still kind of, I don't know quite what he's saying, but I think this is it. Paul says to these Galatians, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now this is confusing because these Christians were not in Jerusalem, most likely, when Jesus was crucified. Maybe, maybe one of them, but probably not. But some of them were weren't that old when Jesus was crucified? They lived a long way from Jerusalem. Like they, they weren't all there. And yet Paul says, you saw Jesus publicly, publicly crucified. How can you then go back to the works of the law? How can you leave grace if you saw Jesus crucified? It's like, what are you talking about? They didn't see Jesus crucified. What, is that, what does that mean? And the way, I, what I think he means is illustrated in the life of, of John Wesley, who was, was a Christian, went to Georgia for a couple years, left England, went to Georgia to be a missionary for two years, and was largely unsuccessful. If you read some of the accounts of his life at that time, I, I think you'd probably describe him as a little, little prideful, a little self-righteous. 
Um, he kind of had a, a girl he almost got engaged to, but because he thought himself a little bit superior to her, it did, that didn't work out. And he basically was here for two unsuccessful years, and then he went back on a boat to England, discouraged, disappointed. And when he gets back to England, he, he met up with a prayer group of Christians, or Christians who, who prayed regularly called the Moravians. And we read this about one of Wesley's encounters with God at one of those prayer meetings. He writes, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That phrase, Jesus took away my sins, even mine, I think is what Paul means by verse 1. When he says, you saw Jesus publicly crucified, the word publicly more means set before your eyes. And there's, there's a time in our lives when, when you're converted, when Listen, I can preach every week. Jesus died for your sins and, and can raise you to new life. And for, for many of us this morning, it's in one ear and it's right out the other. It, it just doesn't get to the heart. It's just, it's up here. It doesn't matter. It's not functionally important to you. You'll leave this week and, and other things will be more important to you. There's others of you that when I start talking about you are cursed and you, you know it. And then we start saying, but you have the blessing anyway because Jesus took that curse from you. You know it. You've seen it. It's been set before your eyes. He's been publicly crucified before you. Not because you were there at the crucifixion, because it's made its way from someone's words into your very heart. And you hear what George Herbert described Jesus saying from the cross in his poem as not just general words, but words for you. All you who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree. The tree of life to all, but not to me. Jesus gets on an instrument that is a sign of cursing, of death. And he turns it into a place of blessing. The tree of life. The tree of death becomes the tree of life. And when you know that's just not a nice idea from 2,000 years ago, but that's for you. That's when you begin to have the power to kill the scratch off your record. To change your life that that you see not just that Jesus died for sins, he died for your sins, even yours. You see, he got the curse so that you can have the blessing. He gets the tree so you get to sit at his table. He climbed the tree not just for sins, but for your sins, to break your curse so that you can know God's smile is upon you. And that is freedom, true freedom. Let us pray. Father, may the words of your scriptures and the words I just spoke be lit with the power of your spirit to be true in our hearts. May even now as we take communion in a moment, we have the, the crucified Christ publicly set before our eyes. The good news of the gospel that, that he got the curse so that we could be blessed. And so we come to you now in that blessing through faith in the grace and work of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.
Well, the only response to that sermon should be a time of communion. Um, and, and remember, we're doing it a little bit differently now. You guys did a great job last week. We're still figuring this out, so we're still going to do it in a way that can be better later on. Um, but we have uh, four stations uh, down here up front. We have one station up in the balcony. We're asking you to file down, come around the table in groups of five to seven. Then everyone's going to take a piece of the bread. Everyone's going to dip it into the juice and then wait and pause and the leader will lead you to take that meal together. So that's, that's how we're doing it. All of the bread is gluten-free, so if you need that, we have that um, for you. But this is his table where his body was broken, his blood was shed. That's how he bore the curse. Um, but before we do that, uh, I want to I recite what is the center of our belief as Christians. We've uh, tried to do that uh, most of the weeks through this series. As a reminder, this is the gospel story that we all um, believe. So if we could put the Apostles' Creed slide up. We're going to speak these words, and then as you're ready, I invite you to come to Jesus' table. No rush. As you're ready, come to his table. Uh, but what now, Christians, do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you confess those words as true in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to, to the table as you're ready. If you can't yet recite those words as your own, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to, to come to faith in Christ. But for those of you who are with Jesus in faith, as you're ready, come to his table.
Amen. Let's finish with this song. Well, it's good to be together this morning. Just a reminder, our congregational meeting is tonight. I hope to see you back here at 6 for our meeting. But uh, with that, if you're able, would you please stand as I send you with these words from Galatians. May we all live into these words this week. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May you go in his grace and peace. You are dismissed.